So we finish up our series this morning, Generous. This is our third week of that. But before we just jump all into the series, just a couple of questions. I need some crowd participation. So fireside room, I need you. Out here, I need you. Uh, Here's a couple of questions. First of all, has anyone been shopping like in the last two weeks for clothing, shoes, accessories, anything like that? Let's just be honest. All right. Okay, we've been shopping. Okay, so let's just start at sort of a, a group together. Uh, we can't help but every two weeks go shopping kind of a club. Um, we need help. We know that. It's not like you don't have any clothes or any shoes. Um, how many of you in, in the month of May so far, you have stressed out, you have worried. I'll, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Anybody else, you would, you would just be honest to say, this month I've, I've had some worry in my life. Anybody? All right. There's quite a few of us. Listen, this is the sermon. Stop it. Stop it. It's that simple. Just stop it. All right, no. Um, okay, lastly, how many of you, this is where I really need you to be honest, you've already started your Christmas wish list in May? Anybody? There's one. There's one honest person. Anybody else? All right, there's two. There's three. It's like confession time all the way around. So when we're talking about this idea of what it means to be generous, we have to understand and we have to remember that everything in our society fights against us being generous. The message from our culture is anything but be generous. It's it's usually take care of yourself. And in the midst of taking care of ourselves, we actually compile more things to worry about. And so we're talking about this idea of what does it mean to be generous because that's what it means or that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And so we want to discover how can we live in such a way. And so we talked about things like generosity is rooted in gratitude. And if we can't be thankful for what we have, we'll never be generous with it either. And so part of generosity is understanding we've been blessed. Again, every good and perfect gift comes from God and us just remembering that. The truth is we have more than we need. And so then you have these other aspects of it, like generosity is a story that we're telling with our lives. And so we want to be sure that with our kids and our grandkids, with our friends, that our lives are telling a story that's a worthy story. We understand that generosity is easy for us to do towards anything that we love, like, value. It's easy to be generous to those things we enjoy. Again, this past week, I played in another golf tournament. That's two times I've played golf in seven years. It's a record. But I know some of you, you spend big bucks on your clubs, and I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying you, you're generous towards your golf game because you love it. You enjoy it. So it's, it's easy for us to be generous towards what we enjoy. And then last week we talked about this idea of generosity. If we get that and if we understand it's rooted in who Christ is and what he's done for us, it will impact our lives. It will influence our decisions. It will change the way that we live our lives, spend our money, spend our time. Like I said last week, let me give a couple disclaimers. First of all, Yes, we're talking about being generous, but no, we're not going to beg you for your money. We've already taken up the offering again, so you don't have to worry. There's not a second round of the offering, so don't worry about that. And then also, we don't need your money as a church. In fact, we're doing really well because people are being incredibly generous. We, we wrapped up the, the numbers for the month of April. Last month, um, as a church, we were $27,000 above budget. You guys were generous. 
so far for this year, 2013, we are approximately $138,000 above budget. You guys have been generous. Thank you so much for the faithfulness of giving. So this isn't something that says God wants from you or the church wants from you. It's this idea. God wants for you. We want for you the opportunity to live generous lives, to experience the joy that comes along with it, to experience the freedom even that comes with being generous people. Some of you may say, but, but you just don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand what's going on and I have credit card bills that are just out of whack or I have school loans or somebody in my family lost a job and, and I understand there's all kinds of circumstances that are going on. But all we're saying is, are you willing Would you be willing to take one step forward in generosity from where you are right now? Would you be willing to step out? See, I understand what it's like to be the recipient of others' generosity. I understand what it's like to be blessed in that. I remember vividly when we were sitting in an ICU room with our daughter just a couple of days into this journey, and my wife looks to me and says, this will probably wreck us financially for many, many years. But because of the generosity of many people, we've been able to do okay. We've been able to to survive and make it through some years that were incredibly difficult because we've been on the receiving end of people's generosity. And so I just want us to know, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, if you will. What we'll see is that Jesus cares about every detail of our lives. He even cares about our finances. He wants us to be able to live in freedom. He wants us in our time and with our gifts to be able to be generous so that we can experience the life he's created us to live. So Matthew chapter 6 is another one of those examples of Jesus teaching his disciples. And and we know that very often the disciples just didn't get it and Jesus teaches them and sometimes he used parables, sometimes he uses real life stories. But here's a a chapter where Jesus is just teaching um, verse after verse and idea after idea and in the early parts of Matthew 6 he's saying don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or your drink. He's talking about look at the birds of the air. If God takes care of them, God's going to take care of you. Look at the flowers of the field. If God takes care of those flowers, God will take care of you. You're more precious to him than those things. And then in verse 31, Jesus echoes again this same idea. So do not worry. Saying what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Do not worry. It's this idea of don't be uh, enslaved to stress. Don't be anxious about the things that you want or, or, or even need. Don't be called off by those. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Now, has anybody honestly wrestled with what you're going to eat? And I say, absolutely, yes. I wake up most mornings with, what am I going to eat today on my mind? Anybody there with me? You're like, the the carne asada burrito from Tio's at lunch is calling my name at 6.05. So I'm worried about what am I going to eat? And I'm I'm worried already about lunch today. Like, I still have two, one and a half services to go. And I'm already thinking, ooh, what sounds good for lunch today? That's not exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's, He's probably more referring to those people who don't have food. He said, even in that circumstance of nothing, don't worry about what you're going to eat. 
I was with a pastor from India this week, and you don't want to miss next weekend because Pastor Suresh Kumar is going to be here next weekend. And we were talking about some of the needs that they have in their organization, Harvest India. And he said, here's the thing, you know, there's a lot of needs that I can tell people about and it'll move their heart and they want to do something quickly. I can tell them about children who are starving or orphaned and they want to meet that need very quickly. And that's great. And I can tell them about people who need clean water and quickly they say, what can we do to build a well? But he said, I have this one group in our ministry that nobody seems to care about at all. They're pastors. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. And he said, well, we've raised up thousands of pastors to go into these remote villages all over our area of India. And those pastors don't even have the money to to take care of their family. So they wake up in these remote villages and the first thing on their minds every day is not how am I going to be in the ministry for Jesus today. The first thought on their mind every day is what will I feed my family? And he said, for $50 a month, we could change the future of this whole entire family. But every morning they wake up, what in the world will I feed my family today? Before they can ever get to doing the work that God has called them to do. That's who Jesus is talking about. Now imagine being that pastor who doesn't know what he's going to feed his family for the the rest of the day, much less the week, and read this where it says, do not worry about what you're going to eat. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Now, probably two-thirds of us have already voted and said we've been shopping in the last couple of weeks because we were worried about what we have. We need more. Jesus says, we don't need to worry about those kind of things. But, But remember again, let me just add this in here. Jesus never says, okay, don't worry, just stop it. He always says there's a way out. And you can't just tell yourself, stop worrying. I need to stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. There's a path way out. He'll get to that in just a second. Verse 32, he says, For the pagans run after all of these things. When we're worrying about what we're going to eat or drink or wear, we're just like everybody else. And he's he's not saying there's just something wrong with that in and of itself, but there's just no distinction whatsoever. For the pagans run after these things, seek these things. Listen. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That word knows is a a Greek word that means he sees. He perceives and he understands and he knows. Everything in your life right now, God knows. Every circumstance you find yourself in, every struggle that you wrestle with, God knows. Every aspect of your life that you're like, this doesn't make sense, this is out of control, God knows and God understands Your heavenly Father knows what you need. God is thorough and His care is sufficient. And 100% everything that's in your life, God cares about. Do you understand that? That's why we don't have to worry because God cares. We don't have to worry or be overcome with stress or anxiety because God is aware. And Jesus continues, verse 33, He says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all of these things that we worry about, all these things that we care about, will be given to you as well. So Jesus says the way out of worry is not stop worry, stop worry, stop worry. It's fix your attention somewhere else. Seek after something else. Divert that mind and that desire that you think, I need this, I need this. He says, if you just slow down a little bit and you just think. 
about God. Think about who Jesus is and what he has done. Like we've been talking about this whole entire series, you'll realize this. He's gracious. He's good. He cares. And in light of what he has done and who he is in our lives, we can seek him first. And that means in priority, in rank, in time. We can seek him first and see him do in our lives what he alone can do. He will add all of these things to us. Then verse 34 says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what's to come. Be in today. Be present today. And if you can trust God for today, that's enough. If God is sufficient for today, that's enough because it proves he will also be faithful tomorrow. And and what the passage is reminding us, God cared yesterday. God cares today and he knows what's going on. And he will care and he will be faithful tomorrow. And we can trust him. And this is sort of that root of what it means to be generous and what it is to, to understand his faithfulness in our lives. A biblically defined generous person understands this faithfulness of God. But we also understand that if I can't trust him today, if I'm so consumed with worry today, I'm not going to be able to trust him for tomorrow. And I need to ask for faith to trust him right now in this moment. Because here's what I I believe with all of my heart, that the greatest obstacle to generosity is not greed, it's fear. I I believe that the reality is the greatest obstacle to generosity is not people who who are so greedy, they just don't care about anybody but themselves, they just want more and more for themselves. There are those kind of people. But the majority of people who struggle with generosity, I think it's related to the issue of fear. Because we think things like this sometimes. If I'm generous in my time, what am I going to have left over for me? Like, will I be able to do the things that that I hope to do? Or or our money. If I'm generous with my money and I give this, what about the rest of my needs? And we're fearful of, well, if I give, then will I have? Or or what about my family? If I give... Will my family be provided for? And we wrestle not with this thing of getting more and more and more from a greedy perspective, but from a fearful perspective that says, I'm afraid if I'm generous, there won't be any left. I won't have that safety net, that security that I long for. And that's why, once again, we have to remember, Scripture tells us through and through, we walk by faith and not by sight. We're called not to live by fear. The Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And our lives are not to be ever driven or led by fear, but by faith, trust in who God is. And if we just get back to that place where we remember he is in control, he is good, he is faithful, he'll take care of those birds of the field, he'll take care of those flowers We're of more value than those things. He'll take care of us. And so that's why, again, when Jesus says, don't worry, because Jesus asked this question. Question, what good is it? What good is it to worry? Does it solve anything? Does it fix anything? 
Or when we're tempted to worry, if we said, I'll take you at your word this week, Jesus. And when I worry or am tempted to worry, I'll run to you. Maybe that makes all the difference in the world. And we begin to escape fear because faith and trust in who God is and what he has done begins to overcome that. Maybe this week, you would, or maybe today, you would just want to pray, God, give me faith to trust you. Faith to know that you care. Faith to know that you provide. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so, as I said, Jesus constantly teaches his disciples. Sometimes he uses parables. Sometimes he has encounters that drive home a principle far greater than any teaching ever would. Turn with me to Luke 19. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jericho or going through Jericho. And they meet this most interesting guy. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. So a lot of you have heard this story before. Zacchaeus is is the tax collector, but he's not just any tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. He's risen through the ranks to the highest, which probably means he's not just a greedy little tax collector. He's the most greedy. He's risen through the ranks because his greed is so, um, so insatiable that he's promoted and promoted and promoted because he's doing a good job. And he's wealthy. He's made a lot of money doing this. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now this may not mean anything to us, but in this society... This was shocking. His disciples would not be able to believe that Jesus would do this. Go to the home of a tax collector. The religious leaders of their day would say, there is no way that you, Jesus, a religious man, could ever associate with such a person as this. But when Jesus shows up, things change. And he says, I've got to stay at your house today. Get out of the tree. Verse 6. So he came down at once And welcomed him gladly. That word means joyfully. It it, it hints that something is going on deeper than surface level here. Verse 7, all the people saw this. They began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And so Jesus goes to his house. And something begins to happen in the heart of Zacchaeus. Verse 8. People are complaining and saying, Jesus, why are you there? What's going on? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So something's happened in a transformation kind of way in his heart and in his mind. And and it results in this new outlook on life, new look of his money. Something springs up and he's being generous. He's saying, if I've cheated anybody, I'm not just going to pay them back. I'll pay them back four times what I owe them. And then Je- Jesus explains, hey, here's what's happened. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Listen, for the son of man came 
to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' purpose, Jesus' mission was, com- was coming to seek and save those who are lost. Coming to rescue. Coming to give us life. And life abundantly. And here's this man, this little short guy up in a tree who thought he was experiencing life. He was going after what he thought would bring him true life. More money, more stuff. And he meets Jesus and there's all of a sudden a change. And there's all of a sudden this guy who is greedy, this guy who is ornery probably, all of a sudden is the descriptor, he's glad, he's joyful. Something has changed in his heart and then he's generous and giving his money away so freely that it just doesn't even make sense. And, and what we understand is he began to understand on a deep level who Jesus is. He began to be a recipient of Jesus seeking the lost, those who are far, and a transformation that is even unexplainable really happens. And what we know from this story, other stories of Scripture, we've been talking about this, that a generous person is a joyful person. A generous person is a joyful person. Whether it's the woman with the alabaster box, she comes and she sacrificially worships and honors Jesus, but it's an act of joy as well. Or whether it's last week, 2 Corinthians, as we studied that, that God loves a cheerful giver. We understand that a joyful, a generous person is a joyful person. Now, that may be hard for some of us to swallow because we think, well, no, actually, if I just got what I wanted, then I would be joyful. Really? How does that work out for us? For those of us, three or four of us in here with a Christmas wish list already in May, or our past Christmas wish lists, We get what we wanted, and it's good, and we like it, and we're happy for a bit. And then it's old, and we want something else. We need to replace it. We need to upgrade. Yeah, it may bring temporary, but what Scripture is talking about is a joy that doesn't pass away. A joy that isn't temporal, temporary, until we have to replace it with something else. A deep-seated joy of our heart. And so that's what Scripture's calling us to. And see, here's the deal for Zacchaeus. If you just take some of Jesus' teaching, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As long as Zacchaeus held on to his money, his heart was hard, his hands clenched tight. He couldn't understand or receive this life Jesus has for him. But the moment he released He became a generous person. He became a joyful person. He became one of those who understood the good news. The the scripture says that you cannot serve both God and money. And as long as Zacchaeus was going after money, 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 and stuff, 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 it diverted him away from Jesus. But as soon as he found Jesus, he discovered what true life really was. Have any of you ever been on a vacation in a foreign country? Anybody? Okay, now some of us have this distinct purpose. Has anyone ever been on a mission trip to the same foreign country you took vacation to? Have you done that before? All right, so I've done it a couple of times. Ecuador, Honduras, like in the middle of mission trips, we would carve out two days of vacation. And so like Honduras, for instance, we're in the middle of these, these villages that are just marked by poverty. I mean, when you show up, they're sweeping the dirt floor. 
to get, I'm not sure, to get the loose dirt out of the dirt floor. But they're sweeping the dirt floor and we're there and we're, we're serving and ministering alongside of them. And then a couple of days later, we're at the beach at a resort and we're like, where am I? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're at this little sort of hut with a dirt floor and they get their white stackable plastic chairs and they put it out as if they're entertaining a king for the day. And they're offering you stuff to drink and stuff to eat and you know that they don't have hardly anything but their generosity is unbelievable because they're willing to serve and put your needs ahead of their own. And here's the strangest thing of all. Every time that I've ever done this, we leave. Here's what the team comments on. Those men, those women, those boys and girls, they are so filled with joy. It's remarkable. Then we leave that situation and we go to the same country to the vacation at the resort by the beach or whatever. And those people aren't quite as joyful. And those people aren't quite as generous. And there's this stark contrast that you see in this, this, this kind of a country or even in our society where you realize the stuff that we hang our hats on, that that's going to make me happy, that's going to bring meaning in life, that means I've arrived doesn't deliver what it promised. And these people who have what, what we would say nothing are marked by a joy that we long for. And we get back to America from a trip like that and we're looking around us and we're having trouble reacclimating with where we're at. But hey, here's the good news. We reacclimate pretty quick. Two weeks later, we're over it. Unfortunately. And so, Jesus says, there's just joy that comes from the life that I offer for you that this world can never offer. And, and it's so important on so many levels because if you're a parent in here, you're instilling one of these two values in your children. If you're a grandparent in here, you're instilling these values in children and grandchildren. You're influencing your friend on whether you're going to choose to be the kind of person that says, I want to be generous, I want to live joyfully, or I want to live for me. And we have this powerful influence where we can make a difference in this world by the way we live our lives, by the things we choose. And at the end of the day, the ultimate message that we're portraying and giving off here is not just about our stuff. It's how we view Christ in our lives. And if he's ultimate, and if he's the first thing that we're seeking and going after his kingdom, or if we're still looking for stuff. A few years ago, 2001 actually, Stephen King, the American author, you know, horror, suspense, science fiction, fantasy, all of that, he was doing the commencement speech at Vassar College. And I thought it was fascinating. Here's just a, a few bits of his speech at Vassar and how he understands this idea of giving. He says, of all the power to these graduates, of all the power which will shortly come into your hands, gradually at first, but then with a speed that will take your breath away, the greatest is undoubtedly the power of compassion, the ability to give. We have enormous resources in this country, resources you yourselves will soon command, but they are only yours on loan, only yours to give for a short while. You'll die broke. In the end, it's the blink of an eye. And I came here to talk about charity, and I want you to think about it on a large scale. Should you give away what you have? Of course you should. 
I want you to consider making your lives one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. Giving isn't about the receiver or the gift, but the giver. It's for the giver. One doesn't open one's wallet to improve the world, although it's nice when that happens. One does it to improve oneself. I give because it's the only concrete way I have of saying that I'm glad to be alive and that I can earn my daily bread doing what I love. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back on where it belongs, on the lives we lead, the families we raise, and the communities which nurture us. Now listen, I do not agree with everything that he said. When he says the the focus needs to be not on the gift but on the giver, I would agree with him totally, but I don't think the giver is me. I think, as we talked about last week, the giver is God. And the focus needs to be on him. And we're a conduit, a channel through which God's blessings to this earth flow. But isn't it interesting that a man like this gets giving and generosity in a way that few even in the church ever really understand it? That our lives should be one long gift to those around us. That it's not about us being blessed, but it's about us being a blessing. And here's where true joy comes in. We experience that life that Christ has designed us for when we live like he calls us to live. So it takes faith to move from living in fear to being generous people. And it takes faith to believe that this joy comes through generosity, not just stuff if we've never experienced. And then lastly, Luke chapter 21. Jesus takes his disciples to the temple. And as they're in the temple, they're, they're looking at this place where people come to make offerings. And where they make offerings, it's not little bags or whatever that we pass. Here in the temple, there were 13 brass trumpets. They called them trumpets because of the shape where people would come to give their offerings. So Luke 21, starting in verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So Jesus is saying, look, it's it's not about the amount that you give. It's about the heart that, that gives it. And Jesus is, is saying it's, it's not about this show because when they came to offer their gifts, it was, it was a show. These brass trumpets, as they dumped money in, would make noise and, and even the disciples themselves would be impressed by those larger amounts. And Jesus is also not bashing the wealthy because there's undoubtedly some of these wealthy people who come to give, they're giving sacrificially. They're giving generously out of a heart for God. But Jesus is making a point That even honors the poor and honors those who would say, but I don't have much to offer. Jesus is saying, yes, you do. Yes, you do. What you have is extremely important. And her gift, the widow's gift, represented total commitment to God. Because God looks at the heart. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a very important lesson here. But it's not hard to see how they miss their point. Because... We miss the point sometimes. We look at the outside of the gift. So it was, it was something like this. The disciples saw these people come to, to worship and give. And the larger gifts got attention because they were like this.
And the disciples would say, whoa, did you hear that? That was a big gift. That was pretty impressive. That was awesome. And then someone else would come and the disciples would be a little bit impressed. And it would make this noise and it would catch everyone's attention. They were like, wow, that was a pretty amazing gift. And then somebody else would come and again, they would give. And they're making all of this racket, getting attention. And probably even the disciples were like, wow, did you see that? And then stealthily, this widow appears. And as she almost embarrassed approaches these trumpets to give, all you hear is this. And then she shyly walks away. And the disciples are back to the next big gift. And Jesus is like, no, 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 wait a minute. Did you see that? Did you see that? She gave away all that she had. That's total commitment. And see, here's the thing that, that we, we hear this topic of generosity. We talk about money in the church and, and we think that Jesus is interested, God is interested in us figuring out 10% of our stuff. But it's bigger than that. God is interested in 100% of you being a steward, of me being a steward, being faithful, not just with 10%, but being faithful with everything. Being at this place where we see Him not just having a right to speak into a little bit of our life, but being able to say, you are Lord, you are our Savior, you are everything to us. And not trying to nickel and dime and not trying to, to negotiate to say, God, if I give you this much access, can you just promise me you'll be good with this little bit? God says, give me everything and I'll give you true life. Trust me completely and I'll show you what it means to come alive as never before. It's as if Jesus is saying this, the true measure of a generous person is how much we keep. See, we want to talk about how much we give. But what we keep is what really defines and determines generosity. Because you could have a huge gift from someone that has huge resources. And it's not very generous and it's not sacrificial at all. So, it's a reminder that every detail of our life, God cares. 100% of what's going on in our life. He's interested in. And there's this call that I think I would want to leave you with today to say, number one, would you look to Christ this morning? And would you say, God, reveal to me the love that Jesus has, the care that Jesus has, what he's done for me. Look to Jesus first of all. And after you spend some time doing that, look at your own life. And simply ask the question, in light of who you are, Jesus, and in light of what you have done, how do I respond? And if you are a Christian in here today, the Bible has very pointed things to say, but it's all rooted out of a heart for God, an understanding of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you with this passage from 1 Timothy 6. As Paul tells young Timothy, this is what I want you to tell the people in your church and around you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, for our joy in life. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray. God, help us to take hold of the life that is truly life. Help us to discover what it means to live and enjoy you for all your worth. God, work in our hearts to fight against everything that this culture tells us is life and is real. And God, I pray for the faith to trust you. That there's many of us here today who our lives are probably marked more by fear than faith. And our lives are marked sometimes more about ourselves than it is your gospel. Could we understand today how generous you have been to us? How gracious and good you have been. That your love is unfailing. It doesn't matter who we are, what we have done. We can't earn it, nor can we lose it. And I pray today that you would help us to move to being generous people, people who are willing to share, willing to give our lives so that others could be blessed, so that others could be helped. And that our worlds, our little worlds that we live in, would be marked forever with joy, with generosity, that people would see you at work and give you glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.